Again, I was not diagnosed. I did not go to a psychiatrist. Like this was all something that I had to struggle with and work through on my own. I wish I had. Like I wish I owned enough to get help. I just didn't know. You're listening to Inside Mental Health, a Psych Central podcast where experts share experiences and the latest thinking on mental health and psychology. Here's your host, Gabe Howard. Welcome, everyone. I'm your host, Gabe Howard, and calling into the show today, we have actor and producer Ryan Michelle Bethay. She is currently starring in NBC's high-stakes thriller series, The Endgame. She also holds degrees from Stanford University and a Master's of Fine Arts from New York University. Ryan, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Ryan, as I was preparing for the show, I read an interview that you gave about your struggle with postpartum depression after the birth of your first child. And the the thing that really it, it broke my heart, you you said, and, and I quote, I thought my baby deserved a better mom, unquote. It, it, it was it was hard for me to read that. So I can only imagine how awful it must have been to feel that way. Yeah, you know, I experienced it as a very true thing that I was thinking I experienced it like, oh, this is, that was my reality. And my reality was that I had this wonderful child and he would never have the life he would deserve. It was all around me, whether it was people in my industry who commented on my weight. And, you know, that's another thing. It's like a mom's supposed to bounce back. And every article we read about every celebrity mom goes through the following things. I've never been happier. This is the best time in my life. Ironically, I'm in the best shape of my life. I thought it would be hard to lose the weight, but I buckled down and I did it for my baby, right? Like, like those are the five points, <laughs> right? So everything I knew about mothers and motherhood was those five bullet points. And none of them were happening for me. And none of the other things were happening for me. And I was happy with my baby, but I felt very, very, it was very stark. It was just, it felt like a stark, it just felt stark. And every time I looked at my baby, there was this love. And, you know, and as he grew, you know, babies, I mean, just grow every day, every day. It's like, oh, it's a bigger baby. It's a bigger baby every single day. They're tiny know? and then they're teenagers. They're just, tiny, exactly. just, just like there's, that. There's nothing in between, right? Like I have this baby, it's because we were the same shoe, right? And I don't know how that happened. I just keep saying, I'm like, you're my baby. You're okay. You're not my, you're my baby. Um, and I would look at him with this love and then this, it just would drop this sadness all the time. It was like, a, it was just like, which is this persistent sadness that whispering to me, it was like the sadness was an actual thing, a presence that would just whisper, like, you know, he deserves more, but he just deserves a better mom than you. Cause you, you're, you're not up to this task and you, you can't get up to this task. Cause look at all the proof around you. That's telling that it's a fact. It's a fact. This is a certified fact. And there's nothing you can do about it. And how could you have done this to this little boy? How could you? 
I really appreciate you coming on this podcast to talk about this because so many people in your position are either unable or, or unwilling to share and, and they suffer silently because they think it makes them bad parents, bad moms. They, they think it makes them look weak or wounded or it embarrasses their family. And I, I, I want to say how much I respect how difficult this must be for you to talk about. Thank you. Thank you. I also want to just give the caveat that I was never officially diagnosed, but that leads me to the next point, which is I didn't know until after the fact that postpartum depression was not just something that happened within the first, it was always told that it was the first two, maybe six weeks, right? Postpartum. And it wasn't until my son was about four or five that I realized I read an article that they said, well, you know, there's updated guidance and actually postpartum depression can happen anytime from right after birth to about a year, year and a half. (laughs) I was like, oh, that would have been helpful information to have had. (laughs) Once I got past that six week period and there was no postpartum psychosis that my midwives and pediatrician look out for, you know, they give you the pamphlets, right? And it's very simple. It's very straightforward. And it's three questions. And if you don't answer those three questions within the affirmative, everything else is then you've just got beta glues, you're fine. And after six weeks, no one asks how you're doing anymore. <laughs> the, the thing that my ear went straight to is you're like midwives, pediatricians, professionals. So you had like a team of people around you and yet it, it still reduced itself to a pamphlet with three questions. I mean, this is a pretty serious medical issue and you got the pamphlet with three questions. Yeah, it's, there's that very small window at the very beginning, those first six weeks where you and the baby are still, people still think of you guys as connected. And the concern is the postpartum psychosis, where, where it's incredibly dangerous and the stakes are very high. Um, but I also think it speaks to mental health where it seems like we only think of it in the extremes, right? And the people that are sort of the ducks where their feet are furiously going underneath the water, but everything, as long as it looks good, keep on barely making it, <laughs> you know, like as long as you're sailing across that lake in some fashion or form and you are not, we can't see that you're drowning. Great. You're good. Now, if we see you're drowning and you're pulling somebody else around you down, somebody will intervene. But otherwise, if you can function, you're fine. I wish we didn't see it like that. I think it it would help moms in particular, since we're talking specifically about postpartum depression. Can you function? Is the baby fed? Did you shower once this week? Great. You're good. I'm I'm thinking of uh, my daughter-in-law. She had a baby and we were there and we waited 18 hours <laughs> for for the baby to be born and, and it was a mess. I mean, there was just, uh, you've been through childbirth. I don't, I don't have to explain it to you. And then the next morning, the photographer came in. Photographer took all these pictures and then the pictures came in and they're like, look, we captured the birth for you. And I'm looking at these pictures and I'm like... Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not what happened. That's, mm-hmm. These are beautiful pictures. They're they're so beautiful. I mean, sincerely, they're so beautiful. But yeah, that's like 5% of what happened that day. And I think that if you're a first time parent, you believe that 5%, right? You believe all those beautiful photos and spreads and television. And it really leaves you unprepared for, well, for the things that, that, that happened to you. Oh, yeah. Oh, 1000%. Women do not talk enough to other women about 
any of it. <laughs> about any of it. I mean, from childbirth to postpartum to a year to, I mean, we just, we don't talk about any of it. I'm not quite sure why that is. And I have, I have wonderful friends, wonderful friends, some of whom had babies before me. And I just don't know if it was because they didn't have the language to talk about it. They were still processing what happened to themselves. But there is something very important about women getting together and having honest and frank conversations about just what you said, right? But now we live in this age where even with our closest friends, we share the pictures. Look at my pictures. They came in and we ooh and we ah. Oh my God, you look so beautiful. You're so beautiful. Oh, the baby's so beautiful. And all of that is important. But you don't hear the word mucus plug unless you are in yeah. <laughs> active childbirth or you're a doctor, right? And even then you have to be an OB, right? Like, I was like, how have I never heard the phrase mucus plug before now? We should be talking about these things. How, you know, like, and we just don't. And in that lack of transparency and in that lack of conversation, I think we set people who give birth, we set them up for failure. And we set their support system up for failure as well. Ryan, let's talk about your support system. You are married and your husband was there with you, but you describe him as being both supportive and a, an annoyance to you. Uh, I believe that you said that he tried to help, but that you were angry with him because you felt resentful that there were so many extra burdens placed on you that weren't placed on him. Specifically, you talked about how he didn't have to suffer in the same way. He didn't have to wreck his body and that he, he just appeared fine and that you had to go through all of these things and you felt alone. Did feeling that resentment make it difficult to get support from him? I mean, it's that old adage, right, in relationships, like you have to express yourself and you have to tell them what makes you happy. You cannot expect them to read your mind, right? So fair point. However, if you don't have the words to express yourself, now we're into like this whole other territory, right? So for me, it was, I just didn't have the words. I didn't have the words. And I think that that's also a part of mental health is like, how do you get help for something? Part of the illness, part of what's happening, part of the struggle if you're isolated from yourself, you don't even know how to have these conversations. The only conversation I could put words to was this baby deserves better. That's all I had. I didn't have access to anything else, particularly because everything else was about survival, right? And you have a new, new baby, it's the learning curve, it's deep, you know, and you got to figure out tummy time and you got to figure out seems like it's 15 minutes a day. How hard could it be? But then yeah, have that baby and you realize it's because sometimes it gets a little dicey. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, did we do tummy time today? You know, and like, it's the laundry and it's the this. And there's so many points in the day that are around survival for you and this child, right? And I didn't have the words to explain to him what was going on. And again, I'm functioning, right? It's not like he would come home and the baby would be unclean in his feces, and I would just be listlessly staring out the window. Then it's like, oh, something's wrong, right? <laughs> when you can function, people around you then don't understand that there's a problem. And if, if your way of handling things as well has been just to function. A lot of people, when they're in these situations, their only coping mechanism is to function, right? So if you think about it, I'm, I'm going through postpartum depression. I don't know it's postpartum depression because they 
said, postpartum depression only happens within the first six weeks. And after six weeks, you're fine. All the information tells me that it's not, that it's me, that there's nothing going on but me. And then I have a, another voice that's telling me this baby deserves better, deserves better. So the only thing I can do to climb out of that is to function, to consistently and persistently try to function better. So did he three baths today? <laughs> you know, change his diaper 18 times a day. You know, he's in the cutest of clothes. He's got his tummy time. I'm going to do 30 minutes of tummy time. Like I've got sight words. I've read a book, you know, and he's four months old, <laughs> mind you. <laughs> you know? And I'm doing everything I can. Did we listen to classical music today? So on the outside, looking in from my husband and anyone else, they saw a woman who power walked through the neighborhood who try to do a plank once in a while, you know, who's, who's making baby food, who's feeding them, going to Whole Foods and getting the organic this and, the, and, it, and on the outside, who would have known? Who would have known? And on the inside, all of my energy went towards functioning. So when it came to, you know, I was just, just flailing. And it wasn't until much later when I was able to understand what I was going through and put words to it. But in the midst of it, it wasn't available to me. There are few words more misunderstood and misused than OCD. Imagine having unwanted thoughts stuck in your head all day, no matter how hard you try to make them go away, and then having to pretend that everything is okay despite having to feel crippled inside. That's OCD. One in 40 people suffer from it globally, but there's hope. If you have OCD and need help, you can get better with specialized treatment. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient treatment for OCD and is covered by many major insurance plans. Go to NoCD.com to learn more. That's NoCD.com. Gabe Howard here to tell you about the Inside Bipolar podcast from Healthline Media. He does the show with me. Dr. Nicole Washington, a board-certified psychiatrist. That's right. A guy living with bipolar and a psychiatrist team up to discuss living well with bipolar disorder. Listen now on your favorite podcast player or visit psychcentral.com slash IBP to learn more. Subscribe now so you don't miss out. Hi there. I'm Faye McCray, editor-in-chief of Psych Central. Whether you're looking for free resources, quizzes, or thought-provoking personal perspectives, Psych Central has what you need to join you on your mental health journey. Psych Central's talented team of award-winning writers, editors, and medical professionals are passionate about creating a safe, inclusive, and trustworthy environment where you feel seen and heard. Visit us now at psychcentral.com. That's psychcentral.com. We're back with actor and producer Ryan Michelle Bethay discussing her experiences with postpartum depression. I want to circle back to something that you said where you needed to lose the baby weight to be a good mother. Now, from from I think any reasonable person's perspective, how much you weigh has nothing to do with your ability to be a good parent. But that's not the message that society gets. And that's clearly not the message that you got. What was that like for you to just look at a number on a scale and decide that that determined whether or not you were a good mom? I wish I could put it into words. And again, 
you know, <laughs> I'm going to be perfectly honest with you, and I and I'm a little ashamed to admit this, but it has taken me. My son is ten. It's taken me ten years to unpack all of this, like really and truly. What's me? What's society? What is a dangerous thing that says like to really come to all of those conclusions? It has taken me ten years to even begin to unpack, right? And when I say unpack, that doesn't mean things are now in their drawers. I've just taken them out of the suitcase, okay? <laughs> and I don't know where <laughs> they go. <laughs> That's that. Like we have to be like, <laughs> let's go with that metaphor. Like unpack not put things away and compartmentalize and like okay look that's done like I'm still with the suitcase open and everything is out right and I don't know and it's not folded it's a mess making progress but slowly slow (laughs) progress slow progress because again like and maybe it's because it's the industry that I'm in and so that was a trigger and because it was a persistent and consistent trigger maybe that was another reason why I continue like I I sort of tipped into a very deep depression and being surrounded by people who are constantly talking about weight and constantly talking about what they ate and constantly talking about their workout and constantly talking about it. And it does become a, the smaller you are, the bigger your badge of honor in our business, in our industry. And, and again, that was my community. Maybe it would have been different if I had been in a, a different community, but that was the only community I had. That was just it. I mean, that was just it there was this phrasing around losing the baby weight that I realize now as a part of this thing that I did not have a, a name for diet culture. Didn't know that that was a thing. Makes a lot of sense, but it didn't know it at that point, right? Where your worth as a mother is definitely looped into how fast you snap back. It's a very real thing. I had a person in my life who was close to me vis-a-vis the business. They were a close business associate of mine. And this person said to me, I question your work ethic because you haven't lost the weight. Wow. Yeah. That's such a bold statement. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost a scary statement. And she set me down to tell me, it was like, I have something to tell you. And it was a big moment. It was, I question your work ethic because you haven't lost the weight. And I know other women who do it very easily and very quickly. And you just don't, you have not, you don't work hard enough. And is this really something you want to do? And she said, you know, there's no shame in being a stay at home mom, but that's, I question your work ethic. And then I question whether or not you even want to be in this business because of, because you haven't even tried to lose the weight. The, the exact phrase was, you haven't even tried to lose the weight, which is something that this person could not possibly know. So the, the, there's just an assumption that because you haven't, you haven't tried. Yeah. Yeah. And what did you say? Nothing. I, I mean, I was gobsmacked. I was just gobsmacked. There was nothing to say. And at the time, I, I kind of took it on as truth again, right? Because I'm at this point when she said that maybe six, seven months postpartum, not realizing I'm still going through hormonal. I mean, I was still breastfeeding at that time. I think when she said this to me Um, and in my mind at the time I sat there and I remember we were in a coffee shop and, and I remember thinking, well, maybe this is what love and dedication looks like telling people the hard truth. And I'm already thinking that I'm not, 
good enough and that I'm not enough the mother as a woman. And this just was outside confirmation that the voices inside of my head were right. So she had fertile ground, right? It's not like she said it to concrete brick wall. She said it to rich, fertile earth for her words to take root. I think that many of us have periods of time where we feel like we're not good enough or that we could do better, that we just need to try harder. And in general, everywhere we turn, people accidentally reinforce that to us, which is completely unhelpful, but it's it's a sort of part of the human condition, right? But but you have come to the other side of this and you're able to talk about it and talk about it productively. How? How how did you do it? The thing that really helped me the most was when I realized that yes, you have this period of six weeks where you have to take extra special care of yourself, but that a postpartum body, mind, soul, whatever, all of postpartum holistically is not just six weeks. It's not just six weeks. I cannot stress that enough. Now, if there's some woman who's reading this and was like, at week five, I was fine and filled with joy and light forever and ever, then you are a privileged and blessed person and go spread that love and light and joy to other people. (laughs) But again, if you are where I was, it's not six weeks. Think of it as like nine months. Think of it as a year. That's your postpartum period. So that was one thing to sort of look at the, like for me. And again, this was not until probably, gosh, two years in, maybe three. And I, I realized that I, I just had this a moment of clarity, like a lot of people say, where I realized I was unwell. I was like, this is not, I was like, my son is two and a half and there's so much joy in the little things in life. And yet I feel like I'm on the other side of a glass wall and I'm watching the joy and I'm watching life happen. And I know for a fact that this is not a normal feeling. And I knew I had a moment of clarity where I literally was looking. It's like I could physically feel or see that wall, that glass. I had this thought, my family would be better off without me. And it wasn't like I'm going to go do anything to myself. It was not a suicidal thought, but it was very clearly like, like I'm going to leave my husband, leave my child with my husband, and I will go someplace else because they are going to be better off without me. I felt very clearly I'm an albatross around my own neck and I I can't raise this child and I can't be with this man because I am so terribly unhappy. I'm miserable. It was that thought that made me go, what do I do with this? Ryan, what, what changed? Was there ever a turning point moment for you? I think if I had to think of a turning point, Ironically, it was, I ended up getting pregnant with my second child and I thought, okay, whatever happened with, with Andrew, like now there's another one coming. And I was, I get something called hyperemesis, which is where it's like morning sickness times about a billion. And maybe there was something about the fact that I couldn't function. It was like, I was parked or benched. You know what I mean? It was like, you can't do anything. You can't leave the house. You know, at one point I, I had to go to the emergency room. Like it was, 
I was in a physical crisis. And maybe that physical crisis is what, like looking back, and again, I'm processing this, I'm sifting through the things that I've unpacked, right? So like I said, it's a mess on this bed. So I think for me, I remember having a a moment where I was like, now I, I really have to live. Like I have to live. I have to live for these, the little one that I'm carrying, the one now. And so as much as I think they might be better off without me, I said, that's a trauma that my son doesn't deserve. Do I really want to send him through that trauma? And now I'm pregnant and I got to get it together. I discovered Brene Brown and I started reading a lot of her books. I decided I was just going to immerse myself in everything and anything that I could to kind of figure out what was wrong with me. And that's when the light bulb of, well, you know, postpartum depression can happen anytime between birth and two years old. Oh, and that kind of parted the clouds a little bit. You know what I mean? And then I'd find another piece of information about, you know, what your body actually goes through in your hormones and when you have a baby and how it's not just you. And that was another piece of information that sort of cleared away. And it was little by little pieces of information that I just didn't know or have access to that began to clear things a little bit. It was a gradual process. It was not overnight. And as women, I think we feel this sense of like, well, I'm not as bad as you. So go deal with the woman who's in crisis. Go deal with that woman. Go deal with that. I'm fine. I'm fine. I don't need you. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm over here. We're fine. We're fine. And it was like another light bulb, you know, another little, you know, even still, like I said, the clouds are still parting because I'm like, whoa, when you're trained to function, no matter what you just, you just do. And and that's a message that mothers absorb and parents absorb, but that's a message that mothers absorb that women absorb <laughs> since birth, since birth, no matter what, you have to do it. Hard stop. And yeah. getting help for yourself is is portrayed as selfishness. Even if we get away from postpartum depression, let's just talk about mental health of parents, mental health of women, mental health of of moms. So much is put on you. Mm-hmm. I know you said zero weeks to two years is postpartum depression, but mental health crisis can hit anyone at any age regardless of whether or not you have children. Regardless of whether or not you have a history, you don't have to have a history of mental health crises. Like that's the other thing that I think is so important. Like this is all of us. This is all of us. We, We need to start talking and thinking about mental health. Like we do everything else right now. We think about it. Like we think about, Oh, I don't know, lung cancer. Well, I don't smoke. So it's not my problem. Right? Like, there is a correlation. We think it only happens to certain people. We don't even have the language in our society to say that things can trigger a mental health crisis. You don't have to have a history of it. You don't have to have a history in your family. You can be triggered. You can find yourself in that situation if you don't handle it. And that was the situation I found myself in. And all I could think about was, but this isn't me. And I felt guilty about even saying it because I was like, there are people who really do have to deal with this. And it's like, yeah, that people is you people. You you are the people. It's you. <laughs> it's all of us. It's not those people over there and it's their problem. It's all of us. It happens to all of us. And any one of us can find our time there. To think that it only happens to certain people, I think, is, is devastating us. It's devastating all of us. And to think that it only happens to people who are either weak 
or allow themselves to be triggered, which I hate that. I hate that we've turned trigger into there are certain factions or corners of society that have turned trigger into a dirty word or a word that means you're weak. You never know what it what it's going to be, and it could come out of nowhere. Sometimes it makes sense. Postpartum depression, you have a baby, big life changes, right? And sometimes it's something small that can start you tumbling and and into a mental health crisis or situation. But but we all have a mentality, and all of us have to keep it healthy. So mental health is something that we all need to be aware of for ourselves and also for others. And it's not those people over there, and it's not a weakness. It is a part of the human mosaic. Ryan, how are things now? We know that your career is going great. You are starring in a new show on NBC, The Endgame. I'm watching. I love it. How are things in your personal life? How are your husband and your kids? Uh, you know, it's always it's always a struggle. It's so funny you should ask. Like, Sterling and I just had a really long conversation not too long ago about all of this. And I was like, wow, it took. 10 years to be able to like have this conversation and, and put words to things. And he opened up in some ways that I hadn't heard before and same with me. And, and I was like, huh, this is gross, you know? And I just want to, I want to let people know that it might take you 10 years. It might take you five and maybe you're lucky and it only takes you two months, but it, it, it takes time sometimes. And things are definitely on a upswing and, I'm just grateful for this conversation because I just, I hope and pray that I can shorten that for someone else. It wasn't hopefully in vain. You know, there may be one, one woman or man out there or someone that this resonates with in a way that the clouds will start to part. Thank you. Thank you for making people aware of this and and helping people take that first step. Thank you for giving me the opportunity and, and, and thank you for being the person who continues to share your journey and making a space for people to know that this is like, again, this is all of us. This is all of us. It was my absolute pleasure, Ryan. And a big thank you to all of our listeners. My name is Gabe Howard, and I'm the author of Mental Illness is an Asshole and Other Observations. I'm also an award-winning public speaker who could be available for your next event. My book is on Amazon because everything is on Amazon. Or you can grab a signed copy with free show swag or learn more about me on my website, GabeHoward.com. Wherever you downloaded this episode, please follow or subscribe to the show. It is absolutely free. And could you do me a favor and recommend the show to your friends and family? Use email, social media, or good old-fashioned word of mouth. I will see everybody next Thursday on Inside Mental Health. You've been listening to Inside Mental Health, a Psych Central podcast from Healthline Media. Have a topic or guest suggestion? Email us at show at psychcentral.com. Previous episodes can be found at psychcentral.com slash show or on your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. There are few words more misunderstood and misused than OCD. Imagine having unwanted thoughts stuck in your head all day, no matter how hard you try to make them go away, and then having to pretend that everything is okay despite having to feel crippled inside. That's OCD. One in 40 people suffer from it globally, but there's hope. If you have OCD and need help, you can get better with specialized treatment. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient treatment for OCD and is covered by many major insurance plans. Go to NoCD.com to learn more. That's NoCD.com.